Right, I'm Sim, as Dan said. Um, it's great to be uh, speaking, thinking about this stuff today together. Um, when I was about uh, seven or eight, one of the things that I uh, used to love to do with my father was we would uh, build these rockets. And um, it was just a, a simple two-litre uh, bottle of water uh, that we'd fill sort of halfway up with water, and we'd put a, put a, a cork underneath it in, in, the, um, in the hole, and then we'd attach it to an electric pump, and we'd, we'd, we'd make it standing upright, and then we'd, we'd turn on the electric pump, and we'd wait patiently as the pressure would be building in the water bottle, and it would get more and more exciting. And then all of a sudden, whoosh, and it would go up, and water would spray across our garden, everyone else's gardens, cats, everything. It was great fun. And um, I wonder if if we just wish there was a little bit more whoosh in our lives, we wish there was a little bit more of that, you know, woof. Um, I don't know if you're like me. I sometimes find it hard to talk to my friends and colleagues about Jesus. You know, you want to share to others, but sometimes it, it can come across as quite dry. Or maybe you long to be more like Christ, but you find that a real struggle. Or maybe... You know, you read the Bible and you see that we're to bear fruit, but, and, and you want to see more fruit in your life, but you aren't seeing any yet. Or, or maybe you serve at a church and, and maybe you lead a team or, or a house group and you want to see growth, but you feel that you've got nothing more that you can give or, or you're feeling a bit tired. Or maybe even this morning, uh, you're not even sure if there is a God. But maybe you've seen something different in a Christian friend or a colleague, and, and you started wondering, you know, why is that? What, what's, why have they got this joy or this, this patience or this kindness? What is the secret? And if uh, that's you, then that's great that you're here this morning, because we're going to try and uncover uh, what the secret is. Okay, so this week we're back in John. If you uh, um, have been with us uh, this last term, you'll know that uh, we've just had a whole series on John, where we got as far as chapter 6. But this week, we're, we're jumping ahead a little bit. We're going to, to chapter 15. John is a, a book in the, in the New Testament, so the second half of the Bible. And it's, it's one of four books that we call the Gospels. So that's to say that it's about Jesus' life, the events of his life on earth. So today we're also um, in uh, this last of our mini-series on fruitfulness on the front line. Uh, so if you haven't been here uh, the last two weeks or two years ago when we, did, um, when we also looked at front lines, then uh, don't worry. I won't say that you haven't missed much. No, quite on the contrary. But um, I will try and keep you up to speed with what you need to know for today. Of course, you can find those other talks on our website. Um, yes. Feel free to do that. So, well, first of all, what is a front line? And why do we keep mentioning them? You know, the word isn't even in the Bible. Uh, so we've seen in our series that a front line is, is where we spend the most of the time outside church, where we come into contact with people who don't know Jesus yet. And that could be at work, that could be at home, at school, the shops, university, toddler group, anything. And, and we've seen that we're all involved in this. Um, whatever we do, whether we're an accountant, 
a teacher, a stay-at-home mum, retired or a pastor. We each have front lines and can play a part in bringing about change. Even if it's just small change, it could be important. So in John uh, 15, which we're going to look at, Jesus is uh, in the build-up to the cross when he's going to die. So in these chapters, 13 to 17, he's teaching his disciples. He's, he's getting them ready. He's, he's dumping lots of, of really important information on them. And you could call this like the, the ultimate pre-match team talk. He, he's getting them ready. And so there's so much in this passage. And so there'll be some stuff that we don't even get a, a chance to properly look at today. We'll, we'll just pick out a few, few things. In fact, it's so packed with stuff that John the author went on to write a whole book that we call One John. That picks up on many of the points that we'll look at today. And we'll use 1 John as well a bit, you'll see. So before we read our passage, let's pray, shall we? Can I have the clicker piece down? Thank you. Okay. Thanks. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you give us uh, your word that we can know more about you. And, and as we look at this passage uh, this morning, we, that's our prayer, that you would show us more about you, that you would warm our hearts, you would refresh us and excite us about the great news of the gospel. And please, as we get excited about you, would you transform our hearts? Amen. Right, so John 15, 1 to 17, it's page 1084, if you've got one of those cool blue Bibles. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like branches that is, you are like a branch, sorry, that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you will bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, 
Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends, for everything that I have learned from my father, I have now made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Okay, great. So keep the passage open in front of you. We're going to need it as we go through this morning. So um, Jesus uses this metaphor of the vine. He's trying to teach about bearing fruit. He compares us to branches that need to be attached to the vine, looked after by a loving gardener who's the father in this instance. So we're going to look carefully at each of these elements one by one. First of all, the flavoursome fruit. So we are to bear fruit, but what does that mean? What even is fruit? Well, we saw some in the passage that we looked at last week. Joy, patience, kindness, self-control. All these are fruit. And then we also have fruitfulness on the front line. Our talk series, making a difference on the front line. So hang on a minute. We, we need to bear fruit. And in this passage, Jesus says, you are my friends if you follow my commands. But I thought Jesus' message was essentially we couldn't save ourselves and that we're only saved by his grace. We sung about it this morning. And so, yes, we are saved by grace, and it is Jesus who saves us. It isn't our bearing of fruit or our obedience that saves us. It isn't what makes us his friends, but rather what characterizes them. In 1 John, the book I was telling you about, um, 1 John 2, 5, the second part of 5 to 6, this is, how we know, uh, this is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. So you see, fruit confirms our transformed heart. It's the, inward, the, sorry, the outward sign of our inner heart's transformation. See, it's a bit like, it's not because you wear a police uniform that you are a policeman. But you can't be a policeman and not wear the uniform. It goes together. It's not by our fruit that we are saved. But it's not possible for us to be saved and not to to bear fruit. So let's look at the next um, element in our metaphor, the valid vine. So uh, when looking at a passage in the Bible, it's really good to, to think about, you know, what was the author try- why did the author write this book? Why, why did, um, yeah, what was he trying to say across the whole book? And we saw in our series in John uh, recently that conveniently John uh, actually gives us the reason that he wrote the, the book in chapter 20, 30, 31. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe in Jesus, 
that, sorry, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So while approaching this passage, it makes sense for us to be looking out what is it telling us about Jesus, because the book of John is about him. So here, Jesus says, I am the true vine. And if you're familiar with um, the book of John, you'll know that this is the seventh of um, Jesus' famous I am statements. Jesus refers to himself as many things, the light, the gate, etc. This is the last one. And this one is slightly different because um, Jesus says he is the vine, and then he adds that his father is the gardener. This is the only time that he adds something onto one of the I am statements about himself. And so we'll get onto that in a bit. So why does Jesus call himself a vine? I'm sure there are much more uh, noble metaphors that he could have used. To work out what Jesus is talking about, we need to take a look back at the Old Testament scriptures. The scriptures that the people around him at the time uh, would have been familiar with. One of the things that's so exciting about reading the Old Testament is, is how it points us to Jesus, who is to come. It's like a, a massive jigsaw puzzle um, with Jesus being the final piece that comes and finishes it. But rather than just being um, a final piece, that's just, just a small final piece, Jesus is, is the final piece, but the massive central final piece. So all the other pieces around it are kind of shaped by this final piece that we don't have, and then suddenly the final piece comes in and, and it makes sense. So it's exciting uh, reading the Old Testament and seeing how it points to him. Uh, so in this instance, Jesus is the true vine. And lots of, of Old Testament passages talk of Israel being a vine. Israel was God's chosen people and was supposed to bear fruit. But Israel so often failed at producing fruit or produced rotten fruit. So let's have a look at uh, Psalm 80. Um, seven to eight. I'll read it for you. Restore us, God Almighty. Make your face shine on us, that we may be saved. You transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and took root and filled the land. And skipping on a little bit further. Verse 16, your vine is cut down, it's burned with fire. At your rebuke, your people perish. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand, the son of man you have raised up for yourself. Then we will not turn away from you. Revive us and we will call on your name. Oh, did you see those? There's a few references here to the man at the right hand, and then just, a bit further, just on the same verse, actually, the son of man that you have raised up for yourself. Isn't that exciting? We, we often refer to Jesus as the son of man. Already, um, it's pointing to Jesus. So that the, Israel as a vine failed, but here comes the man at the right hand. And so Jesus is our amazing true vine, not only did he manage where Israel failed to, to be a fruitful vine, but he also came to fix the issues of not just Israel, the old vine, but of all of us too. The Bible shows us how we have all messed up, we have rebelled. Rather than live under God's kingship, 
We took our own paths. But through Jesus, through his death on the cross, we can be forgiven. Another, quote, another bit from 1 John. 1 John 2, 2. Jesus died in our place to take away our sin. And Jesus is the, only, is the way that all people can have their sins taken away too. Okay, so we are not just forgiven, we are also restored into a loving relationship with him, the Son, and the Father, and the Holy Spirit who lives in us. We'll think a bit more about this relationship shortly, but the right response to such an incredible, undeserved love is to turn to him in thankfulness, in praise and worship for who he is and what he's done. Secondly, um, Jesus is also our example Jesus' obedience to the Father is our model of how we should obey him. We'll have a a little think later about uh, how we are called to love one another. But Jesus also models this love beautifully by giving his love up for us. So Jesus loves us as he is loved by the Father. Isn't that amazing? Think about it for a minute. We, We are as loved by Jesus... As Jesus is himself loved by his Father. We are called into this intimate union, this extension of the Godhead. But even though it's a a unique and intimate union, by its nature, it necessitates us to seek to bring others into this relationship too. And so we are excited to share with others about the relationship that we enjoy with God. That's what the passage is telling us. Abide in me for fruit. We delight, enjoy, relish Jesus as our saviour, our father, our loving gardener, and the spirit who lives in us and transforms us. And we are excited and long to share this with people. As we abide in Jesus, when we tell a fr- when, as we abide in Jesus, as we tell our friends about him, it's going to be anything but dull or boring. As we enjoy the the union with Jesus, the Father and the Spirit, then we long for others to be brought into this relationship too. Then we see that for fruit, it's all about Jesus. The passage tells us that unless the branch is in him, it's totally useless, waste of time, and should be burnt. The branch pulls its life from him, It's from him that we get fruit. And just in case we we get cocky about the fruit that we bear, in verse 16, Jesus reminds his disciples that it's him who chose them. It's because he chose us that we are in him and bear fruit. So, next up, we we have the glorified gardener. So here we get to the father. The vine dresser in the metaphor. The gardener plays an important and active role in looking after the vine. He is hands-on, literally, caring for the vine for it to bear fruit. The gardener prunes the branches so that they may produce more fruit. Pruning isn't nice. It can be quite painful. But it's done lovingly by the father who wants to see us bear more fruit. How is the father pruning you? Could it be that through the the tough situation that you're facing at the moment, 
that the Father is lovingly pruning you, working on you little by little, lovingly to see you produce more fruit. There's a warning here too, isn't there? The alternative given to a branch that's, that's producing fruit is dead wood. And the dead wood is to be cut off and burnt. So we are called here to keep going. The word abide has a sense of, of persevering too, remaining, keeping going. Let's not fall away. Let's not be dead wood. Verse 8, by bearing fruit... We prove to be Jesus' disciples and bring glory to the Father. By being Christ-like, by being patient, loving, kind, we are proving to be Jesus' disciples and bringing glory to the Father. The flip side to this is that our fruitlessness is depriving the, the Father of the glory that he's due you're helping me, Rob. Thanks. <laughs> Great. Next along um, is the bound branch. So the metaphor drives home the need to be in him, the vine. The branch is totally useless unless it's connected to the vine. No life outside the vine. There is that dependence on the vine for fruit. And um, I brought my uh, bedside lamp along because... Some of us are, are quite visual. We like to see these things. And this lamp is not going to turn on because it's not plugged in. It's quite a simple point, but we need to be in the vine. There's no fruit at all. It's not even any point trying to switch. No fruit at all if we're not plugged in to the vine. It's only as we abide in him that our hearts are transformed. We become more Christ-like more loving, and bear fruit. So how does that look like? How do we abide in him? Well, I think that can pan out in, in many ways, but by spending time in him, by reading the Bible, prayer, and obedience to God's commands. And, and how, do, how do we try to bear fruit? Do we try by our willpower, do we, do we just try harder to, to be more patient and, and kind, for instance? Just try harder? What are the things that, that you find difficult? Uh, losing your temper, envy, lust, slander? Is the solution just to try harder? What is your natural tendency um, when it comes to thinking about changing? Do you tend to try harder or to abide in him? And how about as a, as a church family here? You know, how do we try to bear fruit in our sharing of the good news, for instance? Maybe we could just try harder. Invite lots of people to an event. Um, and you know, Invite more people. And who's to say maybe even lots of people would come? I don't know. But, but we read here that it's by being in him that we will see real fruit both in our lives and as a church family, by getting life from him. So how might this look for the teams or the house group that we lead? Abide in him. It's out of that overflow of that love that he has for us that we will bear fruit, that we will see change in our service. Let's go to him for fruit. Verse 5, if you abide 
in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. This is quite countercultural. The world around us is telling that in order to see change, we need to do more. This is leading our society to, to busyness and activism. Jesus is saying to, to abide in him. And that requires trust too. He knows what's best. And in verse 11, Jesus explains that rather than being dull, enslaving and lifeless, our obedience and bearing fruit brings us joy and joy to the full. We so often look for our joy and satisfaction in many other things. Verse 12, Jesus expands on his command. He says, this is my command. Love one another. Jesus couldn't really be any clearer, could he? These are pretty clear words. And Jesus sets the standards too. He's like the captain of a, of a football team who, who goes out onto the football pitch and embodies the belief. He leads by example. We are to love one another. That love that we have for one another is something that sets us apart in the world today. It sets us apart. It shows us to be his disciples. When people from the outside see us, that's fundamentally how they can see that we are different to just any other group of people, such as a sports club or a parents' association or whatever. We may be of, of, of different ages, from different backgrounds, from different nationalities, but we are together, united in Christ. And we have love for one another. Jesus makes it very clear that church should be characterized by this love for one another. This is how people will know that we belong to God. And in, the, um, in one John that I was telling you about, one John just goes on and on and on again. L- listen to these. Okay, so this is 1 John 2, 9, 11. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in darkness. Anyone who li- loves their brother and sister lives in, light, in the light. And there is nothing to them to make them stumble. Sorry, nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. And in 1 John 3.10, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. 1 John 3, 16-17. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possession and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? 1 John 4, 11-12. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. One more. <laughs> um, 1 John four nineteen to 21 We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God. 
Oh, sorry, and it keeps going. Whom they have not seen, and yet he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must love their brother and sister. It's fantastic that, um, as a church, our love can be seen in so many ways. Um, Cooking for new parents, giving people without a car a lift, lending people tools, babysitting, fixing people's computers, cooking for one another, helping each other move house, inspecting a house to advise someone whether to buy it, improving someone's CV to help them get a job, going around to help someone with their DIY, Offering somewhere to live to someone. I have seen all of these, and I'm sure there's, there's many more. And those are fantastic. But let's not stop there. We can do more. You can do more. I can do more. Paraphrasing 1 John 4.11 that we've just read. We are so loved by God, so let's love one another. You know, are there other ways? How else can we express that love that we have for one another? Is there someone that you could help, that you could bless? Is there something that you can think of that would be a real help to someone? It will probably cost you. Loving uh, is easy if it's just when it's convenient for us. You don't have to be blessed by Jesus to love, uh, to only love when it suits you or the person that that you find really easy to love. Love is often at a cost. Jesus' expression of his love on the cross is is a perfect example of that. But what about those that we find it more difficult to love too? Are there people in church that you find it harder to love? Maybe someone that we don't agree with, or someone that we find irritating. Maybe someone that you prefer to avoid. Can I urge you this morning... Jesus could not be any clearer. We are to love one another. How can you love the person that you find it harder to love at church? Okay, so, what have we seen this morning? Well, amongst lots of things, we have seen that we are to bear fruit. Uh, Fruit is not what saves us, but is what characterizes us. It's the outward sign of that inward transformation. We've seen that fruit is found in Jesus. We are to abide in him for fruit. If we want to see fruit in our serving, in telling others about him, we want to see our hearts transformed. It's not by pushing harder in our own strength. It's by abiding in him. And then we saw that we are commanded to love one another. That's how people will know that we're his disciples. Love can be costly, Jesus set the perfect example by dying for us. How can we love our brothers and sisters? Let's pray. Jesus, we um, were reminded again of the, what you've done for us and how incredible that is. Thank you so much that uh, you went to die for us and you, you, so that we may be forgiven, but also so that we may be um, restored. Thank you that you bring us into that relationship. Thank you that we are as loved by you as uh, you are loved by the Father. And that's really exciting. And help us to, to be excited anew every day about that. And that as we, we want to tell our friends that we'd be remembering that, 
that love that you have for us. And that so as we're sharing, it wouldn't come across as something dull, but actually something that we personally love and are excited by. And yeah, thank you for that uh, challenge as well of, um, of, want, of, of needing to love one another. Help us to, to be thinking about how we can love one another. Give us opportunities to, to express that love and help us when we find it more difficult to love others. And yes, I pray for, for fruit. I pray that we would see fruit, that we would have fruit, that we'd have transformation in us. And I pray we'd go looking for it in you and not in our own strength by trying harder. We pray this, that it may bring you glory. Amen.